Welcome, everyone. We're back for another fun and yet engaging and informative. Connect this. I'm excited to bring back our, our most stable. One of, one of the four of us ever been described as stable. Our most stable lineup uh, for talking about various issues. Today, we're going to be talking about financing networks, public and the private. Uh, we're going to get into some details that are going to be, I think, pretty interesting. And we're going to keep it very, uh, um, uh, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit, but we're going to make sure people can follow what we're talking about. Uh, today, I wanted to make sure that I didn't forget, like I have almost every other time, to thank Rye for producing, Rye Marcatilio McCracken, our fearless behind the scenes person who makes it all work and figures out how to uh, fix stuff when it breaks in the middle of the show. Uh, today, uh, for our panel lineup, we have Doug Dawson, the hippie accountant from CCG. And Welcome I just want show. you to, I want you to know that the only time I've been called stables was the last time I owned a horse. So <laughs> <laughs> doesn't surprise me that, that you owned horses at one point. Or another, I, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> we also have Kim McKinley, Utopia's top number cruncher. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And I have never been considered stable. So I appreciate <laughs> the introduction. Travis Carter, our stable co-host, USI Fiber's assistant bean counter. Yeah, and really bad at it, by the way, I just took <laughs> so yeah, but I try. And I'm Christopher Mitchell, ILSR's ledger lover. And the talent. The Welcome, talent. talent. Welcome That's to right. the show. That's right. Um, we're going to be talking about finance today, but we have a couple of, of uh, fun things to do before then. And since we now have, what, about a week? Are we about a week or two weeks into the emergency broadband benefit? Let's get a quick read on how people are feeling about this, because Travis, you sent me a cryptic text about it. I was really excited for some kind of deep insight, and, and then I was kind of not blown away. So let's start with you, Travis. How are you feeling about the emergency broadband benefit? Well, let's break it into a couple buckets. Adoption has been very, you know, has been uh, pretty substantial, actually. We've got, I believe, over 100 folks now that are taking advantage of the EBB. But Doug made a point a few episodes ago about the odds of getting paid. Well, that's where this falls apart. So the API is, uh, has challenges. The support, my understanding is the support system at the EBB program is overwhelmed. So you'll get a response every day or two. So what we've resorted to is a manual process to try to submit these claims into the system. And as of today, I think we have exactly zero in the system, but we have customers up and running on EBB. Kim, how are you feeling about the EBB? So, I mean, most of the EBB benefits are coming through our ISPs directly. Uh, what I was really shocked about is how many ISPs asked me what the EBB was after it launched. So I thought, um, well, it, clearly the messaging to the ISPs wasn't the greatest um, launching this, but I've, I've heard a lot of positive, and I, like um, Travis said, a lot of adoption um, from the, in the first week of this program. So I think it just really takes and says the Lifeline program needs to go and we need to adopt something more like the EBB. And now let's, let's hear from the horse's mouth, Doug. What's well, as of earlier this week, there was a million people signed up nationwide, according, wow. assuming, assuming that, that they actually are be able to interpret their own system. 
Um, but, you know, at that rate, the, the fund's going to last for like seven years. So obviously it's going to get a lot larger. So that's pretty good for the first week because I'm hearing the same thing Kim's here. And there's a whole lot of ISPs are now actually starting to look about how to get into it. Uh, and so, that you know, it's going to really pick up, I think, over the next two to three months. So when you say that there's a million people, does that mean that that Travis's 100 people are not counted because of the problems he's having in that? Well, you know, he is the he is the chief bean counter there. So who knows if he did it right or not? So. <laughs> you know, we're, we're giving it the old college try. Let's put it that way. You know what I thought was most amazing is the number of people that called in with their code already qualified. That I found interesting. That is interesting. Literally called up and said, I think we have like 34 from the first day that said, here's my code. I'm ready to go. Where did they get those codes? That means somebody is coaching them in town. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing any marketing regarding your EBB provider or how are they they just Uh, touching you? No, nothing. You know, our original plan was to do some marketing and we were getting the templates and all everything ready for an automated process. But it was, uh, we weren't having a ton of luck communicating with the, um, the EBB servers and you know what they gave us to use. So we actually just uh, the other day switched to a manual process. So now you know now we're trying to navigate through that. So nope. At this point, um, we haven't hardly said a word about it. Okay. So I just want to say that my reaction to the EBB as of this morning, or maybe it was even yesterday morning, is is bordering on enraged, I'm furious. Like I I just. I'm so annoyed at some of the the big national companies and how they're just trying to screw people over. Um, I have, you know, long thought that and, and argued that I do not think those big companies can help very much in terms of solving the digital divide. And I just feel like they went into the EBB with this attitude of trying to prove me right, which is nice. But frankly, I'd rather have some benefits flow to people who need it. I mean, this this stuff about like forcing them to come off grandfathered plans, which once the press got noticed it, it seemed like Verizon backed off that. But it seems like some of the big cable companies uh, are requiring people to consent to paying the bills once the, the money runs out, which was explicitly not allowed under the program. And the FCC might let them get away with it. I'm, I'm just really annoyed. Um, I, this is why we don't have nice things. <laughs> and Charter was telling folks that they might have to wait three months to get into it. I mean, the crazy stuff, the big ISPs are doing some really nutty stuff here. And this is not surprising. Um, You know, my theory of the big companies is it doesn't matter what happens in the boardroom. Those decisions are made locally where people have bonuses based upon it and they do terrible things. Big companies are too big to actually manage. and, And a lot of these things are not, you know, you know, Verizon didn't do that nationwide. They did not have a policy. They had several you know, managers who decided to run off and do that. When I say managers, they were probably regional VPs or something, but but uh, but that's what the big companies do. They don't do anything right, they, you know, because somebody goes, ah, there's a bonus opportunity here. They're not you know? the most hated companies in America because they treat their customers well. Like, yeah. this is not surprising. I mean, I know Chris <clears throat> were angry, but I mean, who's really surprised? Well, I, you know, I honestly, I it's this thing where I just, I think that there's a certain... <clears throat> expectation that I have that that they will do some bad things. But I felt like this is just going above and beyond to just try to figure out how to get like every one of these last hours. Like if I was them, I would be like, 
trying to play it cool, you know, kind of like during the net neutrality while it's in the courts, they're not off there like abusing their authority so much, right? They, they kind of play it a little bit close to the chest. Now they're going to both try to make an argument to the federal government that this should be permanent while their actions are demanding that no one take this program seriously. I just want to state one thing. I think we're going to give the big ISPs a run. We're going to go for the most hated podcast in America here. So, you know, <laughs> let's go for it. <laughs> so I want to move on to uh, the, the game that I'm starting to call now Telecom uh, Peekaboo. And Ooh. this is our picture today. It, it comes from our, our producer, uh, Rye. Uh, this is one that I'm hoping we haven't covered really before. Um, and that I'm hoping these aren't just simply amplifiers. But what's on these poles here, Travis? On the cable on the cable layer there? Yeah. So what's up here? Oh, see, now you're going to get wireless. Hold on. This is supposed to be wireless antennas. You know, that's what I'm pretty good at. Now, well, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. now I'm in the right of way in general until I can okay, find you're in the right of way in general. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big expert on cable plants, but they obviously look like splitters of some sort. I don't see any power going into them. So, Doug, you might have to help me here. Yeah, but the thing is, I don't see any drops coming out of them. I don't so, either. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I mean, that's what they look like. They're little drop junction boxes, but um, it, it, it look, unless, it unless they're, I mean, they might be, you know, that very bottom wire might be running further down the line where they split them off to customers. Yeah. They, I think they, they don't make a here, lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. It looks like you have like your backhaul coming in on the right. left and then it splits out to maybe some distribution. Yeah. Maybe in, in that area would be my guess. Yeah. But they also uh, look, they also look ancient, man. So. Yeah, no. Yeah. And then, then this one that's hanging off on the arm, that's a real creative way, I think, to get more space. So I'm going to guess it's a similar thing. Um, but look how you have the wire coming into it and nothing coming out. Nothing. Coming I'm, I'm going to bet this is 90% of this might be actually be abandoned, but. And that's very possible because what happens, Chris, like when they update it to, to DOCSIS 3.1, they had to redo all these and they might've just left the old ones on the pole. That, yeah. And so that, you know, they, those could be the old DOCSIS, you know, three ones. So what's this down here? And it is this. That doesn't look like it goes anywhere either. Oh, does like, it? What's at the end of it? A light? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. This is uh, yeah, that's uh right. Where'd you find this? I wonder where he found it. Um, it was in his neighborhood. He was wandering around uh, back when his knees worked. Um, sorry, I hope I didn't violate HIPAA there. <laughs> um, the, the bottom one looks like a street light to me. Kim, hold on. No, you know, did you wanna? Did you wanna? I just want to know what you guys do when you walk around the neighborhood. I don't look, look up. It up. Yeah. I, I look up, and about every thirty feet, I trip on something. So yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing how much stuff is abandoned. Right. I, yeah. Right. Over. I, I should send over a from uh, down the road here. I mean, it's unreal what's up there. It looks like a. Looks like a eagle's nest there's so many wires all bound up you know and the power companies complain when you go to put something new on that you're putting too much load on if they took all the old abandoned crap off they'd have plenty yeah. of room and loading so yeah. yeah i think they often don't necessarily know what's abandoned though so that comes True. down to this challenge of coordination True. um so before we go into talking about how things are financed um is there anything else popping up that people want to talk current events anything fresh on your minds well, I'd like to just chat a real quick second about the NTIA grant rules that just came out because they're really interesting. They push partnerships and essentially they're going to give the networks to the to cities to own. 
And, and that's causing all sorts of havoc right now. I mean, I was just, I've been on the phone today with several groups who the city goes, I don't want to own that. And the ISPs are going, I'd rather have that on my books. And so there, that's there. We've never had a grant that did that before. And that's causing some real consternation here because that's just not how it's ever really happened before. So everybody's going like, I want that money, but I have to do what? Um, you're getting that feedback because I'm getting the opposite feedback. Really? People who want to own it, they don't want to operate it. So right. they're like, I'm looking for an operational partner, but I want to own it. And, and that's <clears throat> that's there as well. So yes. So you know, yeah, force, so, par force partnerships are interesting, but you got to have your grant request in by August. That's a very short period of time to make well, a partnership. And then I also saw that. <laughs> If I understand it correctly, um, you have to spend the money in one year with the possibility of an yeah. extension for a second year. Yeah. And I've heard uh, that some folks are saying like they wouldn't get it, gonna go anywhere near that timeline currently. No, you have to be shovel ready. You, you have, have to be, be completely shovel, ready, shovel and, ready. And you have to have the feasibility study. Like I actually had a conversation with somebody and they were like, I want to apply for this grant. And I'm like, how much does it cost? And well, how much do you know how much the build's going to cost? I have no idea. How right, much? So they have no chance. Right. Yeah. I, my guess is they're not going to give all that money away. I don't think they have enough partnerships to show up to get it because you also have the 25-3 issue to wrestle with. So I, I just don't think there's enough places where partnerships are going to pull this off. That's a lot of money they're giving away. And, and this is a very odd set of roles. It came out of left field. I don't think anyone well, I think, expected yeah, I mean, this I, partnership thing. So. Well, I thought, I thought, I mean, this was the Consolidated Appropriations Act or whatever it was. I think it was the one that was signed by President Trump at the time. And um, I think it was explicitly going to be 300 million for partnerships, but no one really knew how that, that would be operationalized. I'm not worried about the one year because they're going to, because of the supply chain issues, they're going to have to add another year to it. No one's going to finish it in a year. Mm -hmm. uh, once they give you the money, they're going to forgive you to get it. They're not going to give you three years. The pe their people will get a second year. They're not going to stop a project in the middle. So, and Doug, is it really surprising that like these broadband plans are coming like out of nowhere? Like it just seems like that's happening every day in this broadband industry right now. Like you wake up and you're like, "What's going to happen today?" Oh no, no. I mean, I am almost afraid to get on a conference call and not read my email. <laughs> <laughs> it's really insane, isn't it? Yeah. This I mean, this we've never had a time like this. And it's like, oh, more money. Oh, look, there's more money. Yeah. Oh. Well, at the same time. Thanks Travis. a lot. Yeah, because uh, I, I got to enjoy this this week talking to vendors about rate increases on, on every single widget known to man. So I guess I've just, 30% is what I'm adding on, on next year's build. Wow. I, don't, I don't know what you guys are seeing, but it's well, you just, said 20% on the last time we were on this yeah, call. So it, it's, it, gotten, yeah. it's gotten worse. Yeah, so keep yeah, Travis, money. Travis was complaining to me that he's competing with um, with the government um, in terms of this for a, a variety of things, and um, and I um, felt like um, it's 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 good. Like, it I mean, true. not that the prices are going up, but like I feel like I'm sorry. My action, my reaction was actually that you're competing with Verizon. Like, I mean, fundamentally, I think it's right. Verizon that is like this 5G. It's our race with China that you're competing against, Travis. <laughs> well, I, I do want to point out, though, that Travis brought that up in a sad voice because I believe he's angling for somebody else to pay for the wings, just so you know. Well, for Travis's yeah, it, company, I would pay for the wings and the drinks. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's just, you know, I think it's, it's just putting, I assume it's just putting a lot of stress on the supply chain, you know, where they weren't ready for 
you know, all this, all these dollars to be doled out and everyone. Because, well, let's talk about that for a second. Cause I still feel like, I mean, if you look at the rescue plan text, um, it looks like city, I mean, the, the Biden administration is making it harder for the cities to spend this money. Um, yeah, there's like this 288 million, but like, it's hard to be spent. Uh, I don't know how much we're really seeing from the federal government. I mean, they have RDOF, but like not a single RDOF project has been, has been approved. Thank so- you very much. Cause that is exactly what I said is, is as far as I can tell, there's a lot of talking, but has anyone actually received any money and started spending it? No. So, so, so is it so is the government responsible for this or is it Verizon in 5G where they're buying up all the fiber and, and I don't know if that's well, also what's going well, on right with now that's, that's the current issue because in the markets that I'm helping people with Verizon sucking up all the talent and all the fiber uh, but wait till next year when this money actually does show up oh man so are are you getting all those little small cell uh, poles all over your town too yeah yep. everybody is yep. Yeah, Travis is about to lose a third of his uh, his base as people switch to uh, whatever's going on there. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's going to be terrible. Yeah, remember 11G or 12G? I forget which G it was going to be. <laughs> Sorry, one of my one of my new um, a staff members, Daz, was just I think trying to jump in, and confused about how to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so wrong that's link, what yeah. popped up there. Yeah, wrong <laughs> link. <laughs> maybe maybe Rye was like, nope. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about finance. I, um, I, I didn't want to dive right into the private, but I want to make sure we have plenty of time for Travis to, um, to walk us through um, a, some of how he did it, but also how we'd recommend other people do it. Cause we've talked about it before and it's super interesting. Um, but I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the public angle of it first, I think. And Doug, let me just maybe hand it over to you. Where do you think we should start? Well, all financing has four key things that are a part of it. When you start comparing any of these, you got to keep it in mind. The one that everybody knows about is interest rate. And that's why people think that muni bonds are better. But that, you know, that's a really minor part of it. You know, secondly, so let's the, pause for a second there. So yes. interest rate, right? What you have to know is that basically a lower interest rate, obviously everyone understands how it works from a savings account, which doesn't have an interest right. rate anymore. But like, what's interesting is people don't always realize is that like, if your project is riskier, you have to pay a higher interest rate. And right. so that's something to just, to just, that's one of the, the, the more basic concepts. So, yeah, um, so people will throw around, there's 3% money available. Well, not for a lot of projects. I know people paying six. So it just depends on who you are. Right. Second is loan term. How long is the loan? Just like a home mortgage, you can get seven-year loans, 12-year loans. And for munis, you can be talking 20, 25, 30-year loans. And that makes a giant difference because a 30-year loan, just like a home mortgage, the monthly payment's a lot smaller. It makes it a lot easier to make your project work. But you're also going to die before you pay the loan off. So, you know, it's an interesting concept. But banks, I mean, I have not seen a bank loan over 15 years, and that's, that's rare. So... Right. And it's worth noting a lot of munis will do 20 year financing, but they may pay it off in 15. They're often ahead of schedule. Uh, right. And they have it kind of like as a, as a fall, as a safety device in case they, uh, they right. struggle a bit. Right. So the third item is collateral. And this is the one that our industry does not understand. Nobody thinks fiber networks are good collateral. Collateral is just what, you know, your home is collateral for your mortgage because if you'd stop paying your mortgage, they take your home back and they sell it to somebody else and they get most of their money back. Everyone has figured out years ago that if a fiber network is abandoned before it has any customers on, it's not worth 10 cents on a dollar. So that makes it really crappy collateral. It's a, it's a good collateral 
if you if if you have it full of customers like Travis does, because then the collateral is really the cash flow. But for brand and networks, when you first go and get your loan, your the collateral is terrible. It's absolutely almost worthless. So so they don't really count that at all. They go, you have no collateral. And so, because, and they're right, for the first three or four years, a fiber network is worth almost nothing. Uh, and so, so you know, and, and a lot of folks in the industry just don't believe that. It's, they're going, but it's a fiber network. And it's like, yeah, and, and, and how much are you, you going to dig up the fiber and sell it to somebody else? <laughs> well, you, can, you, can, you can imagine um, the valuation of a fiber network is dependent on the number of people on it because. In part, you can imagine the same fiber network could have 10% of the market or 70% of the market. Right, and it's right. almost the same amount of cost. It's the same amount of cost and it could have no percent of the market. So the fourth thing then is called surety. Surety is how you're gonna guarantee that the payments are made. And, and when we talk about bonds is a, is a really good example. And if a surety for, for bank loans is you have to sign a personal guarantee. And if you don't pay your network off, they take your house. And, and cities have to do similar things. And so, so those four things together, you have to look at all four of them before you can compare any of these kinds of financing. And so now that leads into your question that you ask. Well, sorry, let me, I, I do wanna- the, the question you ask is what's, are, are muni bonds cheaper or they have a better deal than, than private financing? And why don't we throw that to Kim? Yeah, before Kim, before you take that, I just want to, the surety thing I think is worth noting because yes. if you are, if you're AT&T or you are uh, even like Metronet, for instance, at that point, you are more or less protected, right? Like this, the owner of Metronet is not a person. It's a bunch of shareholders, right? right. I'm assuming it's a publicly traded company, but like um, Travis's network and the network of many of the ISPs that we're more talking to, they're owned by a person. And so when, when people are like, well, Travis should build in the lowest income areas. Um, and they often have this feeling that like, well, if, if Travis doesn't successful, like boohoo, he has a few years where he doesn't make as much money. Um, not understanding that like, it's actually much worse than that. Like he is personally guaranteed that money. Well, even if he's not personally guaranteeing the money, he guarantees his entire business when he takes out a big loan. You know, people always go to these independent telephone companies. Why don't they build more stuff? When they go to build in the, in the county next door, they put their entire current business on the line. The, their surety is the entire business. And so if that other project fails, they lose their telephone company. And it's happened. There are telephone companies that have gone under from that. So that's the surety is their guarantee. And that's, that's really drastic. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's quite scary. If, and, and that's really, that's the number one issue that stops people from borrowing money. AT&T doesn't even care about banks. They, they sell corporate bonds. When they say I'm raising $10 billion, they just sell bonds and they don't ask anyone's permission. So they don't care about the mar the state of the market at all. So, and they even set their own interest rate. <laughs> right. And let me, let me say that yeah. um, I feel like you, people are like, oh, it's a sure thing. Like this is a great market to get into. Yeah. Yeah. I know what, you know, what was, was not a sure thing, the pandemic, right? Like, right. like there are events that come out of nowhere. And frankly, like the pandemic wasn't even a black swan. Like we all knew it was going to happen sooner or later. So hey, let me we, get to back to Kim. know why this isn't a short market. We just said it's supply chain. This is no sure thing yes. at all. Yeah, no, exactly. Like you can imagine like, you know, telling your customers, we're not going to raise prices for five years. And then in the second year, the supply chain goes nuts and all of your costs explode and your labor costs go up. Well, you're in trouble. So, um, so Kim, um, do you have it super easy borrowing compared to private companies? 
think we do, but I think it's because we have a track record uh, that's been in place for many years. Like, like just like what Doug said, like when you're going out as a new project and trying to figure out how to fund this, I think it's very different than when we have a solid operation here at Team Utopia. Like I was just looking at the past um, like three years, we've done eight bond tranches and we have a mix of them. Like in new cities uh, for Utopia, we UIA, our sister agency will bond for it, but we ask for a backstop for, from the city of some sort to backstop that debt, right? But in the UIA alone for the original cities, um, since 2019, all of those bonds have been backed by sales, uh, by revenues, solely revenue. Um, but a lot of communities can't do that. But like Doug said, I mean, our bonds are 25 years with two years of capitalized interest in them. Um, so it's a 27 year commitment when we walk in the, through the door. But our last, like the last UIA bond was a 2.62% interest rate. Uh, which is just unheard of, right? And then I think the low, yeah, that's, I think that's the lowest. And when we went that went to the bond market, we had three, it was three times oversubscribed over the whole entire thing. But yet again, you, you want Utopia and UIA has a track record and we're seeing a lot of people want to invest in our bonds. Um, somebody without a track record and a proven business model, it's going to be a lot harder to get down that path. Yes, yeah, so well, let, let's mention what she just said here. The cities are the backstop. That's yeah. the surety. Right. I want to ask. For what some reason, Utopia fails. Those cities have to raise their property tax rate. I mean, that's what that means. So. Well, they may. We've yeah. seen before in Utopia's case that yeah. when Utopia's early debt, which was backstopped by a number of the cities, some of the cities had to increase taxes. Others did not. And so I think it's always worth remembering what is the risk? Is it a few dollars per person per month or is it, you know, a hundred dollars per person per month? And usually it's much closer to a few dollars per person per month when you compare the actual risk. Well, it's and only I, a big number if the project goes underwater and stops operating. So, but if they're a little bit short of bond payments, it's a little number, right? But, so. and I mean, any, our agreements with these new cities, it's actually, if they pay, have to pay anything, it's a loan from UIA or that they're loaning UIA back the money, hmm. um, which we haven't hit um, and we don't believe, but we also do very conservative numbers. So we only bond for as much to break even on the bond. So if it's a 35% take rate, that's all we'll bond for installations and the construction of that 35%. Anything above that 35% like installs, uh, UIA pays out from their funds alone. So it's it's a lot less risk. And I think it goes back into, you have to have a smart business model when you're looking at these financial um, scenarios too, of how you want to do financing. And I think some of the missteps that people think will go in and say, I need to bond for a 75% take rate. And I just think that is insane. not smart. <laughs> so, so then there's another thing you mentioned, which was oversubscribed. And I think that's also worth noting because what happens is cities, they will approach the bond market. And I, and I feel like with the help of, of some high priced um, advisors, they yeah. will have a sense of, okay, you know, we're going to come in and we're going to sell this much debt at uh, hoping for an interest rate of this much. And then if it's oversubscribed, then great, you might get a better deal. But in other cases, it might be undersubscribed where you end up, you know, you're trying to raise $30 million and maybe you can only raise 25 million. Um, that happens. It does happen. And on top of that, in that situation, they also raise your interest rate. It, it gets very ugly, you saw. Um, and you also got to remember probably half of the cities in the United States don't have the capability to float a bond to build fiber. I mean, cities are just like people. They have a credit limit. So a lot of these little towns around, they can't go borrow $10 million. They, they don't have $10 million worth of credit worthiness. And so, you know, bonds are not automatic. 
Um, now, so that's because cities, they have a certain amount of, based on their property tax base value, they have a certain amount that they can issue debt in which they are guaranteeing that they would raise taxes. Right. But you know, for instance, if like a town of several hundred people went out and, and, and tried to borrow a billion dollars, <laughs> <laughs> like, like the, the ratings agencies would say, like, run away from this as fast as you can. So, so there are these limits effectively then that, that subscribe. So if you have a ton of water projects and other things that will have crowded out your ability to bond for uh, broadband debt. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it depends on what that city views as the most important infrastructure project when they're looking at their bonding capacity, right? I think, I think that is a lot of cities are looking at that ratio right now and seeing where do they spend the money. Yes. And so now Doug said about half the cities, I'm guessing that's sort of a, a, a rough estimate because a lot that of is. the cities that I see, I mean, cities that are, that are, that are basically um, already at their limit of what they can borrow for may not be good candidates for building their own networks. Um, they may have a history of having made some, some bad decisions or imprudent, um, you know, um, strategies. And so I more often see cities that are nervous uh, about issuing debt just because they're extremely conservative and they, they don't want to do it as a matter of course. I ran into a city the other day who has no debt. Like you're kidding me. <laughs> I mean, why would you not have debt as a city because it's so cheap and you could have done more projects, but they, they had no debt. I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. <laughs> would they, would like, did they just not want to do any bonds or like? No, they just didn't. They said, they just thought that was the best way to go. They didn't understand leverage. Yeah. Well, let me also yeah. say like, I just, for me, I started understanding debt a bit better because a lot of people, if they, if you just listen to radio to get your political opinions, uh, a don't do this, <laughs> but, but like you get this sense, like debt is bad. Debt is dangerous. Right. And right. what I, what I take it back to is when we were building the interstates, there was a debate in the Senate. Should we build only as much as we can appropriate? Like, should we just build as much interstate per year as we have the money for, or should we issue debt and, and build it as rapidly as possible? And I really like the debt approach because a, you get the infrastructure faster, but then B, the people who are taking advantage of it are the ones that are paying for it effectively. If you only build based on what your budget allows, you're basically having people today fund infrastructure that they may not be able to use. And so I actually like debt for infrastructure specifically because I think it then lines up who will benefit from it with who pays for it. Let me follow up on what you just said, because that's how we first built the interstate. But since then, we went to pay-as-you-go, and they only built as much new stuff as gasoline taxes support, which means there's a there's a highway been proposed across the state of Arizona, which I believe is now in its 15th year, and they haven't actually built any yet. They're collecting the money. <laughs> I mean, this is how ridiculous it gets when it's pay-as-you-go. Well, so let me you, say that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work, right? It doesn't so. work for infrastructure generally, but no. I'll also say that it's probably a good thing when it comes to roads in the year 2021, given the hole that we have dug for ourselves in terms of that physical infrastructure. Yes. Um, so al analogies can break down. Um, but more or less, like that's I think a lot of the key issue. Now, Doug, you made the point that um cities you, it's hard to compare public to private. And a lot of people will just look at the interest rate. But on top of everything, I feel like we would still see cable industry folks saying, yeah, when you take everything into account, you still look at the cities just get this sweet deal. And, and I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit more about that's how that's complicated. Well, Kim already said it. One thing, bonds require for projects like this require capitalized interest. 
So you have to borrow the first two to three to four years of interest payments. So now a $20 million bond is $24 million. So yes, okay, I got a cheaper interest rate, but I'd rather pay a higher interest rate on 20 million than pay you know, a slightly better rate on 24 million. So you also, um, you know, they also have to, you have to borrow the shorty. Most of them make you borrow something called a debt service reserve fund. That's another couple million dollars you have to add onto the bond. So all of a sudden, a real typical number is $20 million project cost around 26 or $27 million for bonds. That's not really that attractive. It, it's really not. So now, you know, Utopia might not have to do that because they're adding little bonds into into a, a larger existing project, but even they have some of it because she said they have capitalized interest. Yeah, so not all of our bonds have had cap I in. The new cities, oh. absolutely, because it's not, we're not, right. we also believe um, on some of those that the UIA current cities aren't gonna cover that that two year right. bill period to build up the revenue because it's just not fair. And we believe that every city has to have this, a stake in it. Like, cause if they don't, why would we we'd be doing it, right? But yeah, no, it's like we have a mixture of bonds and how we've done it. But yeah, no, I mean, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting beast. I, I always say that not one financial model works for everybody, right? Like, I'm sure you deal with this, Doug, all the time, that just because it works for Utopia and UIA doesn't mean like it's going to work for some of the projects that you're working on and, and so forth. And, you know, whatever Travis is doing over there in, in Minnesota. <laughs> we'll one thing, about I think that. we'll go to Travis because we need to hear about bank financing, but yes. it takes me a half an hour to do the comparison for a city between bank financing and bonds. It's not an easy thing to figure out. No, what is, yeah, what is you're that probably using the, What's so that? using what the, are, uh, the Chinese abacus? Yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, I, I, have a, I have a special shirt that has an abacus on the front and I just do this. Stuff. Of course you do, Doug. Yes. <laughs> I mean, so what does that blended rate become, Doug? Any idea? Because the term is unreal. 25-year debt term. Well, that's the thing is, how do you even calculate that rate? It gets to be a real crazy question. And, and you have to pre-borrow the debt. And what was that second tranche you have you to pre-borrow? The, their surety is normally you have to borrow one extra entire year of bond payments and you just put it in the bank and you sit on it for 20 years. And and that's there in case you can't make a payment, they use that to make the payment. And so that that's called a debt service reserve fund. A lot of them have that in it, so. So it's it's certainly not two to three percent interest when you're all done with it. No, when you're all said and done, it's a lot higher. Right. Okay. So. But this is why in California the governor has proposed this five hundred million dollar fund to help cities with their financing. And that is definitely there to help with the surety. I don't know if it deals with the capitalized interest or not, but the goal is to then bring that twenty million dollar project back down closer to twenty million dollars, as Doug said, by pooling the risk of all the different counties together. And then when they give that all to AT&T, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it is California. I can't even. I, can't even. I know. Uh, we had a good comment in the, in the chat. We've had a lot of good comments in the chat. But one noted that when we were talking about the debt of cities, um, someone had said there's a responsibility not to bite off more than you can financially chew. And, and I think that's right. I mean, this is one of the areas in which I just, I am, um, I'm, as someone who, often finds myself more on the left of many policy issues. Um, I am deeply skeptical of 
of execution. Um, and I feel like too many people have good ideas for programs and don't pay enough attention to how to execute them, make them work. And uh, that's just been a, a major problem because something might look really good, but if you don't do a good job making it happen, then it might as well not even be there. So um, I think it's important that as we're talking about this, we remember that we're talking about projections and all of this assumes your ability to actually hire the right managers and get it done correctly. Well, I think that comes down to this is not just about financing. It's about good partners and consultants right. and having people who know what they're talking about when they're giving you those numbers to go to the to the market or however you're going to finance it. Because I think that is what I'm starting to see around the place is, oh, this they're just almost like spitballing. This is going to cost you 55 million to build this project. Well, where'd you get those numbers from? Right. And what do those numbers include? Like, is yeah. it like fifty five dollars of fifty five million of materials and and yeah. like fiber? Like <laughs> Exactly. And, and city officials usually trust it because they're like, oh, these people are really, they dress up in nice suits and don't wear tie dye like Doug. And so they must know what they're talking about. No, not necessarily. I'm so glad that you said that because I thought you were criticizing me and I very rarely wear a suit. Um, so <laughs> Travis, I'm curious. Yeah, but you're wearing a suit shirt. So you're I, like halfway there. Don't trust me today. No. Don't Travis, forget, he's, he's the talent, remember? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm trying to class this place up a little bit. Come on, guys. Good luck, yeah. And we already discussed you have the most expensive shirt on today of yeah. all of us. Wait, wait, wait a minute. We have not yet seen your sleeves. <laughs> oh, awesome. These are awesome. We love it. We're in love it's, with It's a sleeves. $9 shirt from a vintage store. I mean, we have to be right. working the government. We have to be conservative with Very everything. Nice. So Travis, let's talk yes. first about how um, you finance your network, and then let's uh, end up talking about how you would be working with others and making suggestions about how they would finance it today. So if we go back in time, how did you finance your network? So the, the first piece, which I find is interesting, is after 26 years of doing this, uh, me and my business partner are still personally guaranteed on the debt. So you're very, um, that is something you got to get your head around that this couldn't getting into this project effectively could ruin you if you're if you don't execute the project correctly and so we always talk about this crawl crawl walk run strategy and so basically in the private you can only build as much as you can borrow or that you can lever against your EBITDA so let's just say that your bank covenants you've got like a three and a half times senior debt coverage ratio. I feel like you just left me way Okay, behind. yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. So anyways, <laughs> how you do this is you set up a lemonade stand, right? And uh, no, it, but, but I, the reason I, I babbled on is it really underlines the fact that to me, this is the most difficult part of the business. It is, and, it's the, and it's the least appreciated part going into it, especially from... IT people who always think, oh, the finance department, they don't know what the heck they're doing. This is this, this has been the most challenging component of building a fiber network. So let's let's peel the onion back a little bit. The only reason we were actually able to get into the fiber network business is, is we leveraged the business that we had already built in our data center business and our email business. If we wouldn't have had that, we would not have had a tangible asset. I mean, my personal guarantee is what, you know, worth nothing at the, you know, I mean, at the time. And so it was really taking the profits coming out of that business and then levering that at a bank. But it sounds fancy, but our first year we passed a hundred homes. That was it. 
And then the, then the second year, we passed an additional 200 homes. Well, why only 100? Why only 200? Well, that's because that's all we could afford. And then we start generating the cash. And then the next year, we pass 300. And it ends up being like a snowball where, you know, next year we'll pass, I don't know, we'll probably get close to almost 20,000 homes we pass in one season. But one that's after, in St. Paul. Yeah, that, yeah, that's after 12 years of doing this. So it's this you've got to be, you've got to have some tangible asset. So you either have it yourself or you borrow it from friends and family. They call it angel investors, or you lever your home equity line, or you do whatever you can because the bank is not going to finance you. So our current strategy is we use lease dollars to buy short-term gear and we lease these on a four-year term. So if we buy your routers and switches and things that go in the home, That'll have a four-year turn on it. It's expensive on a month-to-month basis, but we satisfy the debt quickly. Then so we have. Let's, a, let's pause there for a second. Yep. So, so you have a, you have a bank that you have a relationship with, and then you have yep. multiple types of arrangements with them. Multiple it's, banks, multiple types of lenders. Okay, so yeah. with one lender, you might have this lease arrangement where you're borrowing yep. money, and then basically, as I as a customer am paying you every month, and so that yep. payment is paying off some portion of that payment is paying off that that uh, equipment loan. You got it. Yep. Um, in our in our world, it takes about like thirty seven months, right, uh, to flush that out. So that, yeah. So if you look at like our, our finance partners, when we have our quarterly meetings, there's probably 12 people at the table because you'll have the least people. Then we have something called a mezzanine debt. And this, this we're about two years away from retiring, but this is an, a high interest, interest only tranche of money that we, that looks like, all right, here, fake kind of looks like equity that we can borrow money from a senior lender at a lower rate. This would be your traditional banks that we all have our checking accounts from. And so we use that. Then we borrow against that to get more, to build more fiber in the ground, to get more customers. And those are all on 10-year amortizations. So that money gets, you know, reason gets paid off, but that money goes into a revolver. So if you, when we pay it off, the, in, the interest the bank keeps, the principal, we can reborrow back out to build next year's build. You following me? So that's how that's how you do it the bootstrap way. It took you but, a 12, but it took you 12 years, you said, to get to that. Well, yeah, tw- 26 years. The yeah. first, uh, yeah, so exactly. First 14 of building a different business, levering that to start this business, and then slowly building it out year over year over year over year, while the whole time, you got everyone telling you where to build and where to go, but they don't realize if you don't do this right, if you don't service the heck out of your customers and pick the right areas where there are customers, you can lose it all. Mm-hmm. So, eh, but hey, nothing else so, to do. So yeah, lose, it, lose it all includes his home. Yeah. Oh yeah. Home, everything. Yeah. You're, you're done. You just you're like nobody's getting into this, like private, right. like companies are getting into this because it's just too hard and why, the government is should or be getting into this because Travis, you can't go everywhere. Well, um, well, the interesting point is, and and Doug brought it up right away, is it's a great business to get into. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's a, it's a spectacular business once you get over the hump. The problem is finding finance partners that understand that you're going to borrow money and you're going to bury it in the ground, and there's no tangible worth of that asset 
like it is like a combine or a, a building, that's the hardest, the hardest phase. When you can find a cash flow senior lender that will look at your, your reoccurring revenue business and lend against it, now you're starting to cook with gas. So I'm trying to, and I got to figure out what he does with uh, with a combine in St. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I always thought that, you know, if, if the government wanted to help entrepreneurs get going, you know, because our first tranche was an SBA tranche that we used, which is, uh, you know, we, so you can get a senior lender to borrow you money because the SBA is backing, I forget, Doug, what, 80% of it or something. Right. And if, if the SBA could extend that, you know, to give more capacity at, at that first tranche, I think you could see more entrepreneurs get into this industry. I think the industry that's ripe for this is the WISP industry, mm-hmm. where they already have the technical wherewithal, but maybe not the financial wherewithal. They get with an SBA lender with extended SBA credit because you're building fiber networks. I think you would see a lot of people starting to get into this business. Here's, yeah, the, here's, the, problem. To, here's the problem you have, though, yep, because yep. Even, even the SBA wants good collateral. Yep, yep. If you, if you, yep. Want, if you use, want to use the SBA to buy a building, they're all over it. But if you yep. want to do it to put fiber in the ground, they're like, um, that doesn't seem like it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, yeah. the Institute for Local Self-Reliance has a lot of problems with the Small Business Administration, precisely because it was supposed to be about helping small businesses, and it's been hijacked by... I would say in many cases, corporate actors example we often use is like, you want to develop an awesome, like Kim's big glasses sandwich shop. Um, and you go to them and they say, I don't know, this is risky. Like, what do we know? You go to them and you say, I want to build a, a subway franchise. And they're like, Oh, we're familiar with that. Yeah. Let's, mm-hmm. let's make that happen. And so like, it's a similar sort of thing where like they're looking right. for cookie cutters because they're not trying to figure out how to like build the best small businesses. They're, People who are, have families who are just trying to make sure that they're not uh, being attacked for having a bad portfolio of loans. They don't want bad loans. Correct. Yeah, which is ridiculous because like we want them to have bad loans. Like we, we want do. them to be funding on the edge. And this is the same issue right. with 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 the rural utility service. I think right. they're too. And the other problem with SBA is their biggest loan right now is only five million. That doesn't go very far. Right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't get you hardly anything. So, but there's, I mean, there's a couple of things that you said there, um, Travis, that I, um, I want to go back to. One of them, I think, is, um, I do think that when you look at this, uh, you were mentioning the values not in the the fiber in the ground. This is where the people are so key. And and I've in talking with a different ISP, I got a better sense because. He, he noted before others that private equity was flooding into this to buy ISPs. And then what are they interested in? They're trying to find human talent that is good at managing these networks because that's where the value is. It's not in the fiber. It's not in the equipment. It's not in the billing system. It's like people that can figure out how to manage it all, make sure the money's flowing in the right ways and things like that. Um, and so that's where there's a problem. And, I, and, and so, Travis, your answer is like, let's figure out how to have the government help more of these private networks. And I think Kim and I are more like, no, this is a sign that this is a very bad business for the private sector to be in charge of. And, and I don't mind if people want to go out and use their own money and like do this in the way you have, Travis. But like, if we're going to use public dollars, I feel like we want to be doing it in a way that is going to like make sure that we have more benefits uh, to communities. Um, but, 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 but what about the execution side? You can't, yeah. you can't have it both, you know, yeah. cause you also said they're, they're going to be poorly executed. 
no, 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 no. And that's I didn't an say awesome. Would. And that's an awesome. No, no, I think that's a concern. But I think, I mean, if you look at like look at you know utopia if you look at like the vast majority of municipal networks you know they may have stumbled and, and many of them have stumbled on utopia like really fell on their face and got up and fell on their face um so well, like, starting, Chris, until i started but thank you right right um but like that's that's the issue though is definitely one of one of execution but i just like i really don't want to see us like going through this like rube goldberg machine to plop out a private owner of a network who in five years will sell it to metronet who in five years will basically be comcast but that's why I think it should be a mix of private and public. I don't think it has to be one or the other because like where Travis is might not necessarily have to get into the, might not want or not have the ability to get to some of these low income areas where your take rates are going to be low. The government will, because that's what the government does is build infrastructure, right? And provide to everybody in a city where a private company doesn't have to do that. So I don't think it's government versus private. I think it's a combination of both of these aspects and how do we execute that? Well, and there's another good point to be made there that Travis just made, because a lot of communities are going to use some of this federal money to build broadband, and they have no experience, and they are not going to execute well. A lot of this money is going to be spent poorly because they, because they go, this is what we really need. And this, they're not going to find an ISP partner this year. I've been calling around for a few clients to find partners and partners are all getting full too, just like every other part of supply chain. And so, you know, so, so we're going to see some very terrible municipal projects, especially in smaller towns come out of this. Now, now what will happen is if they build it four years from now, somebody will come in and buy it back from them cheap and make it work fine. So there's not, if you get the infrastructure built, it'll eventually help you, but it, but it's going to look ugly here for a while. I think. Well, that's, that's where I feel like there's this larger issue that uh, I think Bruce Patterson does a terrific job talking about, which is that cities should be focused on building infrastructure, not services, right? Which, which means, I think, more often conduit, maybe fiber, and, and actually focusing on those long-lived physical assets and then working with others to turn that into a medium that delivers services. I agree with that, Chris, but I think too is what we've seen is a lot of cities go out here and they build these great conduit networks, but they haven't talked to anybody who actually build fiber. Um, so the conduit's useless. Because and, they don't, and they don't put enough access points and so yeah. you can't actually use the fiber. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. So, so we talk with cities all the time that we're like, I have a conduit network and you're like, great. Great. It's worth about this much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so let's be clear, like, like if only we had some good consultants to help out with that. Like, well, they <laughs> never ask. They, they always come to us later. They go help us find a partner and we go and look and we go, your, your conduit's worth zero. Sorry, dude. Right. And yeah. that's because, and that's because you're talking about like, if you have an access point every quarter mile, you're doing it very wrong. Very but wrong. You, you want to yeah. make sure that you're getting those, those rapidly increasing in price handholds out there um in order to for people to get into it um travis this is where you i've been pushing you and doug to see if we can develop kind of like a reference architecture which is you know as far as i can tell more or less basically like yeah you should have two or three handholds per block you know like <laughs> depending um but more or less that's what you do mm -hmm. ideally you want one at like every four houses that's the, that's the best architecture it's just oh, more expensive. except you, you don't want all those phone calls from the uh i know from the neighbors we started out with six per block we went down to one and we paint it green and, <laughs> and, and and yeah travis i'm just better at customer service than you then we have one per every two houses um oh, you have a do you have a do you have a handhold or a flower pot oh uh, we have a flower pot but we don't okay. have a handhold, yep. yeah 
but yeah. yeah you know i don't know chris i i guess i would it would be a fun and fruitful competition to take the 1700 wisps in the country and fund them uh to the point and, and take 1700 of your government agencies and see see who wins the race because I will bet you another round of chicken wings that all this money that gets pumped into the uh, into the into the economy will very minimal, if any, significant change. Yeah, at some point, Travis, we're going to have to talk with you about how to make a proper bet. Because if you're already buying the chicken wings and you're going to bet the chicken <laughs> wings, <laughs> I, I just don't have high hopes for any of this. I mean, there may be one or two success stories, but here, but yeah, I, I mean, but but I don't think you're going to see any major change in anything you know for instance you know trying to trying to deal with government as a private company it's just it's almost pointless but yeah but, so travis you tried to deal with a few governments in minnesota of the largest yeah. cities in minnesota i i mean i feel like when i talk with with isps there's a mix and um and frankly i think we're seeing you know, governments learning more about this, local governments learning more about this. And, I, but I want to, I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on this. I want to yeah, move yeah, actually yeah. on to, back to financing. how you would, yeah, financing. <laughs> and before they do that, there was a question from someone. They didn't understand, Doug, what you meant by um, partners were getting, uh, their dance cards were getting full. Um, so what, what is that? Is they just don't have well, capacity to do more partners? Well, again, let's, let's just say that I'm an existing either telephone company or a cable company, but a small one. So I'm somewhere in rural America and I've got my 2,000, 4,000, 8,000 customers. And now six communities around me come and say, I'm getting all this grant money, come over here and help me. They can't chew those all off because they won't tackle something they can't do well. And so they're going to they're gonna look at those six opportunities right now with this grant money and they're going to decide to partner with one or two. And that leaves the other four nearby communities with nobody to help them. And so they're... Now, Minnesota, where you two are at, doesn't count because there's a ton of independent of, of ISPs there. But a lot of states, there isn't. I mean, mm -hmm. I work in places where there's no real natural ISP to help you. So getting grant money is no good if there's no natural ISP to be your partner. And so, but, I, but every one of these ISPs that we know can only chew off so much work. They, they run out of capacity as well. And so, you know, and the best way to describe that is grant money is not really free you know, the company still has to hire people and pay them and make all that stuff work. And, and if you're a little guy with 20 employees, you're not going to grow to 60 employees fast. Well, especially so that, if you're going to lose your number right. two and number three employees who are going off. Who are going to get lured company. off by somebody because they're all going to be lured off to other grants. This is a, it's going to be, Travis, it's going to be a tough couple of years. A lot of these ISPs are going to find out that they bid off more than they can chew even if they're getting to use free money, it's going to really hurt them. It's, it's a, so that's what I meant by it. it. Every single part of our supply chain has a natural limit on it. We have there's a question. finance limit. There's a natural operational limit. There's a natural everything. So we have a question about um, reference architecture, which I think will be a good future show to talk about. Um, Travis's cookie cutter approach that he's described to me over wings. Um, yeah, Travis, yeah. so let's talk about this. Let me throw this image up that you sent me of your, unless you don't want me to, of your cabinet. Oh, that's fine. And yeah. you could talk about why this is relevant. So what does this have to do with, uh, with financing? So the, so the rationale was, this is the tip of the spear for us. So a new area, we're just simply going to drop a relatively inexpensive cabinet, like a lot of guys, you know, a lot of companies do and um, serve an area because again, we don't, uh, 
I've seen a lot, and Doug probably can talk more about this. I see a lot of these communities that try to build these big rings around everything and, you know, burn up a ton of cash building the backbone architecture, which I guess I, I can understand to a certain extent, but I'm more of a mindset of drop this right in a neighborhood, go get three, 400 customers, generate some cash flow, drop another one in another neighborhood, generate three, 400, get a thousand customers. Now let's say you got sixty, seventy thousand dollars a month coming in. All right, now you're starting to get somewhere. Then you know, build yourself a proper central office and take it, take it from there. Again, this crawl, walk, run kind of thing. Everyone thinks they need ten thousand subscribers. Well, sure, you need ten thousand subscribers, but you need to start with subscriber one, and you need to figure out a method to get that subscriber as inexpensively as you possibly can. And a lot, of, I'm not, and I've met a lot of these tech nerds because they're my people they're my peeps, you know, and they're get, they get so enamored with the backbone and all this like plumbing stuff. They want this. So, yeah. So this right. is what our central offices look like in the city, right? This is where all of our switch gear is. And they get so enamored that they can't see the forest from the trees. And it's like, figure out the least amount of dollars to get that customer number one going. And then also remember today is your cheapest day to do construction. It's never going to be cheaper than today. So you got to get started. Well, imagine Travis, if you went to the bank and that was the first thing you wanted to build, you'd have never gotten a loan. (laughs) Yes, Kim. Yeah. But I was just going to say, it's what the motives of this money is going to be spent for. You're talking about it being revenue, paying back the financing very quickly. But if you're looking at this middle mile ring to connect city services and stuff like that i think it's a different conversation and you have to go back to the business model and what why they're building these networks yes i agree some people build yeah. a mobile network that goes nowhere but if it's built effectively i think it works really well um yeah, I'm, building, I'm building but I'm, I'm more on travis's side because the thing Thanks, that drive the, the thing that drives <laughs> people to do this is they going like but but what if the fiber gets cut and and five thousand people go out of service? The answer is yeah. well, I'll go out and fix the fiber. Yeah, yeah, you know we we can't have you can't have redundancy first before you have customers. That's too expensive. Unless you. Yeah, I build. I build. Department. I build for uh, in yeah. the beginning. Build for cash flow. You got to build for cash flow. But you eventually get redundancy if you start hooking up these various oh, things together. I'm sure. For sure. Yeah. That that comes very quickly behind. But right. again build for cash flow find the area like i wouldn't even spend one dollar until i went and pre-signed up you know for instance we just did a 50 home subdivision out in oshkosh 48 people signed up before we even laid one dollar worth of construction in that area so now we know exactly what we're dealing with right otherwise it's it's not that what's that movie they'll build it and the baseball guys will come play or something they will come you build their dreams you can't afford to do that in the beginning because you've got a bank payment 30 days from now and you got another bank payment 30 days after that and you got another bank payment 30 days after that and it's amazing how fast 30 days goes i mean boom 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 i mean so for one of our newest cities pleasant grove their bond was actually less because we already had fiber in the city from building um, out businesses and basing our roi on those business connections so it's just a really different model of how you're going to take it i don't think one is right over the other and i think that that's where I believe in this government whole holistic city approach. You believe it is a revenue private business approach, which I just correct, correct. Yeah, the, I don't. I don't have taxpayers to fall back on. The old, oh, I, I understand. Yeah, I'm going to move into a tent if I have to. You know, if if it goes out. So you know, I thought you were. Travis, moving, you I thought you were moving in with Chris. If at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm working on finishing up my basement. It's nice. But I, but I think but I think a lot of a lot of people are 
you know, like take all these small little ISPs are trying to figure out this is why this is why wireless is so attractive to them. You can buy a $300 radio, you can stick it up on a tower and now you can serve and here it comes, Chris. But you can't get to the dream of gigabit symmetrical, you have to get fiber and the FCC is 25.3 is a damn travesty in this in this country. All right, there you go. So fiber, right. so, fiber, so, fiber, fiber. And, and well, I mean, the, the other issue, if you just ignore the speeds, I think is that at a certain point, you have all of these radios, and it feels to me like you're just juggling more and more things trying to keep it going. So like, Travis, you had what 2800 radios, you probably still yeah, do. We still have um, them. And, it, and it's and it's a maintenance nightmare. You know, fiber is not fiber is um, so I guess my whole point is, is it's okay only to put in a few hundred feet of fiber year one. It's okay. And and it's, it's okay to get a hundred customers. I well, would and likewise, that so a, a proud moment. I was just talking to an established municipal recently about um, areas around them and opportunities for expansion. And we we're talking about how we're worried that a number of these cities will feel like they need to build their own head end, which um, a not even clear that you need to have linear TV, but if you do, do not build your own head end. Like there are so many around you. I'm not um, even sure you can buy a head end anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the point is that like, so whether it's like, whether it's your network operations center, whether it's your customer service, like if you're putting in like that, the fiber to 100 customers, you don't want to hire someone that's working at all that like sitting behind a desk answering phone calls probably you want to work with an established isp that will offer you a good rate to monitor your network in the evenings and weekends at the very least and similarly to answer your phone calls and to and over time you may not want to always be 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 um, contracting that out but early on you really want to i think you really want to minimize the sort of things that you're responsible for going wrong well i i, I totally agree and again i only look at it from the optics of a private company so um, but the good news is, is after 12 years, there is no more bank debt. We, we, we cash flow. So our builds every year are just are out, of, are out of our cash flow. So the debt we take on is to, to expand beyond our, our cookie cutter template. So I'm, I'm a real fan of this model. It's just you got to be patient. And it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day. And you know, you got to service the heck out of those customers because that bank debt is hanging over your head. Well, and let me tell you what it's like for the small guys because they yep. come to me for a month and they go, because they know this is profitable. They know this is yep. a good oh, business. Yeah. And they come to me and they go, I got this awesome business plan. You know, I'm going to go down to the bank and I'm going to go borrow $4 million. And I'm going to build this neighborhood. And it's like, dude, they're not going to loan you $400,000. No. <laughs> and they don't believe me because they go, but look at the business plan. Yeah. Look how much money I make. It's like, but you have no collateral, you know, and you have no personal wealth. And, and, and then, there I go. And if I really work hard, I might get you the 400,000, you know, and but, so, but, and, but and, they and they, go, and, and they, they just don't believe customers. this. They yeah. just don't believe this. And you have to start it off. Starting at 100 customers is the only yep. way to do it, unless you have a rich backer. So, but so back to we all need a smart business plan and how you're going to really succeed. And I think that's what I keep hearing from this conversation is that you can't do it without a smart business plan and smart business people who are running it. Right. Too. Yeah. Or like what we're doing now is, again, in our pilot project in Wisconsin, we're funding the first $4 million to get it off the ground. And then we'll turn it over to a new senior lender to run from there. But, but here's the problem with that. We took an equity position in the company, mm -hmm. right? And so if, you, if you're willing to give up 
half of your business or three quarters of your business to get that first seed capital that's out there. But that's a, that is the most expensive money you'll ever borrow in your life. Yeah, so borrowing, let's, borrowing let's from your them. equity is way more expensive than bank debt. It's really oh yeah, expensive. yeah, yeah. That's why so I, that's why I paid. What did I pay? Sixteen percent interest on mezzanine financing. You know, because I didn't want to give up the equity. I knew it was going to work, so, but I just knew it was going to take time. But the thing is, what I find interesting is like a lot of these conversations I see. I go back on these YouTube videos of conversations some of these cities had ten years ago. They're still having the same conversation today. If they would have just started with a couple hundred and then built to a thousand, then built to five thousand, they'd already be done by now. Yes. Every, yeah, everyone yeah. everyone has to look at it from a, a, a huge like I'm going to be as big as Utopia. You don't need to be that big day one. Do, right, do Main that. Street. <laughs> yes. Just go down Main Street and hook those cool. people up. Yeah, so this, and I mean Utopia wasn't this big. I mean, it's taken us 20 years to get to this point. Exactly. Right? So yeah. exactly how long it's taken you, even in the government sector, yeah. it's not happening overnight either. So there's so, a couple of questions I want to I want to deal with. But first of all, I want to go back and unpack something you said, Travis. So yeah. there's an ISP in Wisconsin. You're kind of flirting with them. You get a sense like, I think these guys can do a good job. Yeah. These people can do a good job. Uh, so you uh, basically loaned them a bunch of your money mm-hmm. that, that the USI has. And, uh, and you got a, a position of ownership of that company. Yep. And you are basically using your bank relationships to pay for the first four years of their network build, yep. which you partially own. But then what happens when you talk about turning that over to a senior lender? What does that mean? So basically, okay, so we, we went out and we said, okay, we're going to start Kim and Doug Internet, right? And we've got this wonderful piece of paper with all the right words and the right orders and graphs and spreadsheets that show how rich we're going to be and how profitable our business is going to be. We interviewed a dozen banks. Not a single one was interested in, in, in doing it. You know, uh, what is that? Wah, 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 right? So, we did. so then it's like, well, how are we going to do this? To, uh, Doug had a fancy term for it. I always called personal guarantee, but you had a better word for it. Where surety. Somebody, what is it? Sure, surety. Surety. I got to yes, Google sir. that when we're done here. Right? S-U-R-E-T-Y. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. So the surety ended up being that the only way we could do it is if USI personally guaranteed that. And on top of that, instead of going out and finding a new letter, we just used our capacity to go ahead and seed this new network. And now that, and once the network gets up to, you know, 1500 or 2000 users, it'll have enough cash flow, enough revenue, enough EBITDA that we can then now bring this back to a, a bank and, and finance USI out of it and then have that entity right. stand and operate on its own. Well then, but the problem is if you were looking at Kim and Doug and saying, are you willing to give up? half of the company for that to happen well half of nothing is nothing where half of something is is could be a big number that's the personal decision now our half we're also the network operator the isp the customer service the tech support the billing there's a lot more that go on there but i'm just saying fundamentally if you're an up and running say isp but you don't have enough money to go in at a, a bank you might have to find a partner like us who can help seed that first step, but you're going to have to give up a big chunk of the apple to do it. Well, and again, back to the natural limit thing, Travis can't go do five of those. 
No, no, he can well, actually my limit right now is six. So I, uh, I can do six. I'm looking for, exactly. I'm, always, I'm looking for more, but, 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 well, but here's the problem. I can't find good operators that are willing to work mm-hmm. nights and weekends and dig in the dirt. I mean, problem with fiber networks are they look super cool and they operate amazing. It's not a glamorous job. Oh. So, um, this the the execution is where we're struggling right now finding people that want to execute so then i also want to ask kim because there's a, been a question related to conduit again it's a little bit off topic but interesting which is um um you're in a, a bunch of areas of utah that are growing um are are you getting into all of those new developments are cities requiring conduit in ahead of time is that something you do as utopia because i get the sense a lot of cities still it just 10 years ago, it was too late to start having these requirements, but still cities aren't doing it. Yeah, a lot of cities just don't even put in the requirements because who's going to enforce it and then who's going to engineer it and then like telecom companies get in fights about it and it's just not worth it. Um, but we get into all the open trenches that are out there. We have calls um, in member cities and non-member cities of do we put the conduit into these areas um, just for the opportunity costs. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Like. Um, but in Utah, I think was the fastest growing state um, in the last census. Yeah, so we, it's funny from like a city that's considered like West Point that we just built out. And I think they expect their population to double in the next five years. Um, so it's all these new developments are coming and we're just putting conduit in. I, I get open trench emails all day, but yeah, it's mm. you, to get into Greenfield is so much easier. So, so much cheaper. <laughs> yeah, do if you can. Uh, and that's why a lot of the ISPs don't even want to go into like the brownfields, right? Because they don't want the cost uh, that it's going to cost to get into some of these older neighborhoods. So they only go into, so fiber is happening with the incumbents, but it's usually happening in new developments yeah, where it's yeah, not yeah. happening in the old developments. Sides well, I think it's worth noting, you said it's always easier in the greenfields, but Travis uh, will remind us that what he did on Mother's Day weekend wasn't that your weekend to get in one of the ditches and you were complaining? Oh, about yes, 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 yes. Sorry. I'm like going, huh, what was I doing? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's when the city allowed us to do some construction. It would have had to be over Mother's Day. So imagine that conversation with your contractors. Hey, do you guys mind coming in on Sunday and digging a eight foot by 10 foot deep trench and putting some conduit in? Yeah, I had a lot of volunteers that day, let's say. <laughs> It's, so, it's a partner conversation, too, of how many yeah. good partners are out there. Well, we got it done. You know, Chris, I'm so impressed. You remember more about my business than I do. So, yes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> my, my memory is very actively engaged while eating wings. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, th- I, um, think, I believe he's going to be asking for a payroll, so be careful. So. <laughs> Yeah, he'll be leave me. He'll be corporate memory. So. Yeah, well, corporate memory. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to be doing some advertising for Travis uh, over the course of the summer. Um, uh, we want to actually. Travis is going to work with us. We're going to try and document some of the process of uh, putting in conduit and how he builds his network and stuff nice. like that to to further try to. We have um, we have an intern that is going to help us with some video production. Um, one of one of our new or our more recent staffers. She has a great history of of working in video production. So. Um, we're going to try to put together some stuff to help people better understand what goes into it and how it works. I don't know about you, Doug and Kim, but I always like taking somebody out there that's never seen it before. And they, yeah. they just look at their eyes. Like you're joking. <laughs> this is what goes on. Like, welcome to building a fiber network. Yeah. Show them how you trench a fiber. They're like, you know, yeah. how you bore. They're like, wow, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. More importantly, how you bore without creating a gas leak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, or, or just one or two. You know, you try to minimize that. You know. Yeah. So I, I should mean, just say. I love. We had a, a city that it was like, where are the gas lines? Because and they were like, well, there's this yeah. one guy who knows exactly where yep. they are, so you have to take that guy out and just. To, gonna, <laughs> oh yeah. I called a contractor the other day. They hit two gas lines, and they're like, nobody even knows where these gas lines are. You know, sometimes. <laughs> so. So anything else on finance before we we wrap this one up in a bow? Uh, we did pretty good, I thought. Uh, I just I just want to make sure we reiterate the fact that it is I, for me it was the most underappreciated aspect of running the business, and in hindsight, I should have really paid a lot more attention to it. Did you just figure it out? Was it your partners, Travis? Like, like no, we, we, we went through a bunch of CFOs and we finally brought in, like um, I always say, he's the Michael Jordan playing on our pickup game at the, at the YMCA and taught us really how to really do it. And as, as we have like a relationship on a technical front and we kind of talk the same lingo and everything, there's a whole different set of lingo and people and contacts that are in this on the financing world. And if you can get plugged into that, it's amazing. I mean, most, I babble on, on these kind of conversations, but when we get into the finance conversations, I sit and be quiet because I don't even know half the things they're talking about. And but I just described that you have to know how to talk bank. And so yeah. people just don't. Yeah, you do. So, and so. a lot of these people that are running ISPs, I mean, they're, uh, you know, I don't know. They, they, they're not the most extroverted people in the world. And so to go down to a bank and talk, you know, ones in, or talk uh, dollars and cents is not their skill set. But what so, I'm seeing too is there are a lot of people who want to invest in this the broadband right now. I mean, it is everywhere that I'm hearing from investors and whatnot and saying they want to invest and they don't have opportunities as well. So I think it comes yeah. from both sides. Uh, well, I think what they're aren't they looking for so we get you know we get hit up quite a bit they're looking for operators that are up and running that can show you know a five or a 10 year exponential growth and they'll they'll, they'll buy into those deals all day long I mean you're but they, seeing, don't, but they don't start from scratch no, no right no, but that's, that's seeing, the classic thing right which is that the banks yeah. exist to give money to people who don't need it and make sure the right. people who do need it can't get it and investors want to do even one step they want to do the the super, the best of the best who know how to do it. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's and not. They'll, a good they'll pay huge. I mean, they're paying huge multiples for these fiber businesses right now. I mean, you're seeing sixteen to twenty-two times EBITDA multiples for established fiber networks. But to try to get a loan for five hundred grand to build your first hundred customers, that's the key. That's right. the trick. And this that's is this trick. is so. This is something that that has come up, and I want to extend the conversation just to, for a couple more minutes, perhaps, because I think it's useful. When I was fishing around for ideas, you know, what would what should the federal government be doing, whether to support munis or more broadly anyone? And someone suggested, yeah, like just starter loans, like construction loans, yeah. get them started. Yeah. Some are going to fail. Like if the loans are used for like the actual, the, the, the long lived durable assets, well then, okay. So the government takes some sort of a loss on that, but like overall it creates the assets that we need. Someone's going to use it ultimately. Um, so I'm just curious how people react to that. Charter will start a thousand individual guys to each go out and get one of these loans and they'll give the money to charter and, you know, the big guys will still figure out how to get their hands on that money. I, I hate to I hate to be that cynical, but that's how it really works. No, I think that's a very yeah, good yeah. point. Mm -hmm. Doug coming in as a negative Nelly on. Uh, uh, that's my out. job. That's well, because that was always that was always my thought. If you gave each of the, you know, let's just say you gave each Wisp five hundred thousand dollars and said it had to go into conduit in the ground and it had to go into fiber, and let's say half of them succeeded, 
you know, you'd have, you'd have what, 800 networks up and running. And that's a pretty good return on the money. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, this is where it blows my mind, the federal government, you know, when they talk about dollars, I mean, that's, well, here we go. I can't even believe I'm going to say it would only be an $800 million project. Right. And, um, you know, and the other half that failed, well, at least that town has conduit in the ground so that, so if they could find another ISP partner to come along, well, here, you've got conduit handholds. It's already pulled in. It's running down Main Street. Hell, I'd go in and help, you know, run that network because it's already there. So that was, that was, I guess, the seed idea I always had. Yeah. So, I mean, like, in that case, you want to keep charter out of it. You have a mandate for open access and um, strikes me that that would help. Um, although I'll just say. No, well, it won't because then what I'll do is the little guys will start it. Their companies will go bankrupt and then charter will buy them. So. Yeah. You know, there's right, a way you around. Have, there's a way around every rule. Just so. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. And I mean, like we've seen the government try to encourage open access before with uh, BTOP, and yeah. they didn't have the capacity to enforce it. No, they didn't. Um, but you know, I, I think um, this has been a good conversation. Um, I'm sure it won't be too long until we have uh, the two of you back on again, uh, so we can horse around some more. Um, <laughs> I didn't have anything after that. I just want to. I have say to go big, buy bigger glasses then. Yeah. For so the yeah. Yeah, pretty soon that all we're going to see is glasses. And- <laughs> uh, this has been this has been a lot of fun. Um, we're going to hold on, do- hold on real quick. Do we have a moral of the story here? What is? I mean, I see like the story. Of Deb- financing- we're, a Deb- we're a bunch of Debbie Downers here. Is there? You know, <laughs> I think the moral of the story is when Travis sells out for twenty two times EBITDA, he's buying all the chicken wings. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out. You know, if if you're sitting out there, what do you do? It sounds like there's nothing you can do. Oh, no, I think there's I think there's plenty of stuff. First of all, like a lot of the people who are tuning in are just trying to understand this space. And like you just I mean, a lot of them are sitting there waiting to hit rewind and listen to it again because they want to try and understand it. OK, do you think we you think we hit the points that I mean, because I'm a real proponent. This can be done. We'll, we'll this, find out. And, and people, this is a great business to get into. Don't get me it wrong. Is, this, it is. But you, chase the revenue. Don't change the don't chase the fancy technology. That's the thing. Chase the revenue. Right. And we'll, and we'll talk in a future episode about, about how Travis does it, about how you put it together, how you don't go off and buy carrier grade stuff constantly. Um, you know, how well, you've made it. Or, you know, Kim's the only one I've really ever met that's in line with the active ethernet plant. Cause I think it's the best way to do it because you're not pigeonholed into a technology, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. 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 It, it goes down to, are you really like, cost efficient and how to make money because we're talking about financing but there's so much behind the financing and the operations to keep these projects running like travis and and we do my last words is a different way to say what travis said my my what i tell everybody is cash is king yeah that's that's the that's first before everything else so and there's nothing more motivating than having a personal guarantee on an sba debt i'll tell you that because the SBA debt, you don't just go, I'm bankrupt. They go, oh, no, now you owe us for the next 50 years. Oh, they will take it out of your social security. Oh, yeah. And if you don't, and if you don't yes. pay, we have little buildings to send you mm-hmm. to for a timeout for a few yes. years. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. I'm pretty sure that if, for instance, you're running a company and you make irresponsible decisions that lose tens of billions of dollars, that you actually get a major retirement package and you get to go buy islands in the Pacific somewhere. Oh, you get a twenty sure million. You get a works. twenty million dollar leaving bonus. Is what happens. Correct. Right. No, no, right. I'm talking like you borrowed five hundred grand to build an internet company. No, and- I know what you're talking about Travis. I just <laughs> no, want to bring in AT and T. Where I just you know. I cannot believe just how America works with like these CEOs. I mean, has anyone actually bothered? 
to do like a study to figure out if you can, if you can at all judge how successful a CEO has been based on their pay. Cause I, I got to believe that it is well, totally know, divorced from reality. Separate, that's a separate argument. Have you ever met one of these CEOs? No, dude. Why do you pay somebody $76 million to bounce a basketball? That's ridiculous. No, are you kidding? That's like, oh, that's like, oh here we go. Here yeah, we go. That's crazy, though. I mean, like, this is like, there's like, but, but, but there's, you're not there's gonna pay, tens you're of not millions of people who want to pay money to watch that person bounce a basketball. That's really where the value comes from. A company that has tens of thousands of employees, the same amount of money you'll pay someone to bounce. No, no. let's be clear. Let's be clear. Fine, pay them if they know what they're doing. But when they go off and they're I buying direct conversations, when they kid. buy direct TV, when they buy Time Warner, and then they lose tens of billions of dollars, and people are like, oh no, they're really awesome at their job. They lost like, 50, they lost fifty-one billion dollars in six years. Yeah. Like, I mean, like that's what I'm complaining. About. I'm not complaining about a CEO that's doing a great job. Like, let's just say Delta okay, CEO. Right. I right? just want to make sure like, we're clear here because if you yeah. ever meet these people, they're incredibly talented. And oh, I always, I don't, yeah. And, you know, I always deflate people when, when you talk about throwing a little ball or like little bat people or the little, you know, basketball people making all Travis this Travis isn't going to slander volleyball, which he loves. And, and that seems to be perfectly acceptable to people, but to pay somebody who's highly competent to run a fortune 100 company, a lot of money. I'm all for that. Okay, Listen, I, we're going to, tonight we're going to have wings. Sorry, can let me just put, wrap this up <laughs> because tonight we're going to have wings and I'm going to talk to you about what an offensive lineman has to know because it is yes. freaking incredible and Doug it knows is. better than I do. Uh, before okay. I, we end this, how do you feel about pickleball, Travis, and how much? Okay. <laughs> My jam is women's college volleyball, just so <laughs> crystal clear here, right? That's University right in my of Minnesota. House. Here's my opinion of the pickleball. You don't want to live anywhere near the court. That's just a dreadful sound to hear all day long. So. Am, I, am I old enough for pickleball? That's the other problem. Isn't that like a, I'm only 50. So I thought that's oh, like. Yeah, you're not here yet. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> next week, next week, same time slot, we're going to have a, an ISP from Santa Cruz, Cruzio, um, Cruz IO. I love, it's one of the best names ever. It crushes USI fiber as a name. It does. I, um, I agree. Yeah. So um, we are going to be talking about what they are doing uh, with low-income networks and their fiber network, their wireless. We're going to talk technical about it. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Um, this has been an episode of Connect This, and we really appreciate you coming in.